My name is Mark McGowan, and you are listening to Inspire Radio. And we're back. It's 10.02 on the 8th of October, and you're listening to Inspire Radio. Um, I'm uh, very privileged to be joined by uh, Carissa Wright, who um, is a survivor of borderline personality disorder, um, lived experience, and she's also set up a, um, a peer support group called Embracing BPD. I'm also joined by Dr. Um, Pauline Cole, who's a DBT clinician at Marion Centre. Welcome both to Inspire Radio. Hello, thank you for having me. Hello. Awesome, awesome. So I want to start with you, Carissa. Um, I have lived experience of mental illness myself, so I'm always fascinated by the lived experience angle in terms of recovery rather than, I think, in tandem with the professional as well. You know, it's the best case. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about your story, your journey with borderline personality disorder? Yeah, I can. Um, so I was diagnosed with BPD or borderline personality disorder when I was 17 um, and I entered the system for about 13 years. Um, I tried a lot of therapies. I saw about 13 psychologists over the space of these 13 years. Um, but what really helped me was our peer support, lived experience and DBT, which is dialectical behavioural therapy. So it's been like a long journey since I was younger um, in terms of trying to work towards self-management, but I've finally got there the last three years. So the last three years... Um, I've really li lived a life worth living, so that's been really good. That's awesome. And have you had good support around you? Um, I think when you first get um, diagnosed at the start, it's it's quite hard in terms of trying to find the right supports. Um, I don't think I've really met anyone in the peer space that has got the support they need straight away. Mm. Um, I know it's slowly shifting um, because there's more funding and therapies coming through. Um, so at the start, it was quite a rocky journey because I also uh, have a lot of self-stigma at the time, so I didn't know how to accept the diagnosis. Um, but the last five years, I've really slowly been able to find other good, really helpful supports out there in terms of um, clinical NPR and holistic approaches to um, my experience with BPD, so that's been really good. But at the start, I can't say confidently that it wasn't um, it wasn't very easy at the start, so yeah. I think borderline personality is, is something that a lot of people don't really understand. Uh, and I guess when people don't understand it, there's a lot of stigma and a lot of judgment um, around that. Did you find that people were belittling your experience and, and you know, um, stigmatising your experience with BPD? Uh, I, d I definitely did throughout my time. Um, again the last three years it's definitely changed through my advocacy work and being around peers and all my friends coming to a more understanding from me sharing so openly and being vulnerable mm. however at the start um when I was 17 which was 13 years ago there was a lack of resources everyone went to google to <laughs> <laughs> to read up about BPD yeah um so again I had a lot of judgment and stigma because especially in um, intimate relationships um I was I found that the most triggering for me was trying to be myself and be safe. However, I was also experiencing all this turmoil and not having those supports in place. So it was quite easy for my partners at the time to be quick to judge because they didn't also have the understanding or the resources to have their own support as well. So it, it was definitely, um, there was a very long period of my life where I was constantly um, faced with that, especially if I tried to talk about it as well. Mm. And you've grown, obviously, the last three years. You've now set up your own um, peer support group, Embracing PBD. Um, what, how did that start? 
Um, I went to New York in, I think, 2017. I was studying my mental health peer support certificate at TAFE and I got to intern with Emotions Matter, which was a BPD support organisation um, made from carers. So people had, um, I think, siblings and partners and parents that had were experiencing BPD. Um, so having, like, insight into their system really motivated me to come back and set up up my own safe space for people to come in um, because a lot of people don't know there's a huge wait list sometimes for uh, DBT and other therapies which I'm sure Pauline will touch on Um, so I was like well I want to have like a halfway where people can access my group and also access other therapies and other supports that they need Um, so like I call it a brave space someone said this yesterday to me at work is that um people show up and be vulnerable and safe with each other um and we have a whole heap of fun so it's really light-hearted because in clinical settings it can be quite intensive which people do need at the time but I think it's good to just step away from that sometimes and just have some fun with um whatever you're experiencing regardless of your label so I really mm. try to model that in my support group so how how does it work like do you meet regularly you have group kind of therapy sessions or um, it's not really therapy, it's more, so I, because I have done dialectical behavioural therapy, um, most people don't know that DBT was actually created by someone who was experiencing their own mental health journey, um, so it already has that peer kind of twist to it, mm. um, so I just set up some little group activities and we just do activities for like an hour and 15 minutes and we also talk about ex- our experience but we really unpack what we're feeling and yep. talking and breaking that down rather than um, it being directed by me the whole time. So if you do come into into our group, you'll see that it definitely, like there's other peers that are leading and connecting. So I, I kind of can sit back as well with my other facilitator and just kind of guide them if they need. So you kind of facilitate that conversation but then encourage people to take charge of their own Recovery, really. Yeah. 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 So, and just giving people that space to be able to do that as well. Um, and there's no commitment either. So, I think with DBT, again, it really helped me. I needed to have that commitment. Um, but some other people don't tend to like having to be there all the time because they've got work and study and stuff like that. So, people can just drop in and out as well. So, it's quite a casual approach in terms of um, commitment and having to be there every week, which is good. Yeah. And how do people get involved in that? Um, well, we're slowly expanding, um, because I work full time, I'm trying to like balance how much I can advertise it, but we, we mainly just do Facebook like, um, posts and advertising to see if people want to come. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely a lot of word of mouth that's made group grow a lot throughout the last two years as well. Um, but yeah, I just, I, we want to welcome everyone and anyone who wants to come. Um, we've got carers coming at the moment, which has put a like a different perspective for even people that experience BPD. So hearing them talk has been quite healing for a lot of us as well because some of us didn't have that parent support at the time. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it's just been – it's really fun because you get to meet so many unique people that you might not get to inside clinical settings sometimes. So that's been good. That sounds awesome. And I guess when you were originally diagnosed with BPD in age 17, I'm assuming that you would never have believed – that you'd be where you are now? Uh, no, not at <laughs> all. Um, yeah, it's it, it's not easy though, so I want to be realistic that your journey is always ever-changing and <coughs> there might be 
a few years later down the track where my where my BPD experience might come up again for mm. me. Um, but I've worked really hard on myself and I've made sure I've got the right supports in place now rather than like holding on to supports that might not have helped me because I felt obliged at the time that I, I had to do it to, mm. ma- to be better, if that made sense. Um, but if there is a clin- clinician out there or if there is a support group or a peer support worker that you don't click with, it's okay to keep trying to find the person that might match your experience. So Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I think with, with any kind of journey, it, it's not a linear, like, straight line up. It's yeah. up and down. You have um, times when you're doing really well and then something might knock you and, you know, you go down a bit. But I think th- the saying that I really believe in, as long as you're moving forward, it doesn't matter how slow. Yeah. Um, and, and not to pick yourself up if you have, you know, down days or if you, if you, if you go back a little bit. Um, I also saw you on the YouTube. We were talking about that before. <laughs> Sorry, I got it mixed up. <laughs> yeah. um, so that was um, you were at the Borderline Personality um, Conference in Australia. So, yeah, tell us about that. Um, yeah, I've done some advocacy work with the BPD Foundation over the last five or six years. So I, I lived in Melbourne for a while, and um, I was quite isolated at the time in my journey. And I reached out to Rita and Estelle, who are the founders of the foundation, and they've been really welcoming in terms of creating platforms for people with lived experience and having their voice heard. Um, so being a keynote at last year's conference was like a huge achievement for me because I, I dreamt from it since I used to watch the conference videos on YouTube um, mm. about six years ago. So to be able to go there last year and deliver a talk about my lived experience as well as the peer support group we've created was like a huge thing for me. So that was really good. It's a massive achievement, isn't it? And I mean, the whole thing with what we're doing with Inspire Radio is that we want to showcase people that are an inspiration and that there are people out there that are struggling with BPD. And, you know, they can look to you and go, there's hope out there that I can, if I can find the right supports and the right kind of treatment, then I can be where you are in, you know, however many years' time. And I, I think that's just awesome, and I'm so glad that you came in today. Oh, thank you so much. I um, also want to talk about the campaign. So it, it's not just random that we've asked you on today. Um, it is Borderline Personality um, uh, Awareness Week, which we've actually missed. It was <laughs> finished yesterday, but we can extend it for another day. Um, so tell us about the campaign. It's, it's about changing the language, isn't it? Yeah. Um, this year's campaign's been one of the best ones I've seen, I think, in terms of... Um, really dismantling the stigma and discrimination that we have faced with this label. Mm. Um, Language is a huge thing. However, I just wanted to note that language is very individual as well because I work in a peer space that um, people are comfortable using mental illness versus some people would rather use mental health and stuff like that. Mm. Um, But in terms of the campaign this year, just flipping the script and really focusing on the strengths that we have, it has been huge and I've I've seen everyone be more interactive this year, I think, than I have in the last, I don't know how many years they've been doing it, maybe a few years. Um, So really focusing on the positives that we do hold and shifting away again from the label, which the label is important at the start, but it doesn't define who you are. So Mm. it's been really good to um, watch people engage with that and actually enjoy um, talking about their experience in like a really positive manner. So that's been really good. Yeah. Absolutely. I just want to turn to you, um, Colleen. Um, so you're a, a DBT clinician at the Marion Centre. Yep, that's right. Um, what's your kind of experiences with uh, BPD? So I, I guess my experience with BPD goes way back to the beginning of time <laughs> in my um, medical training. i am um, been a doctor for more than 30 years and originally came across the, the uh, disorder um, 
as a junior doctor, people overdosing and things mm. like that. Um, as a general practitioner, which I moved into, I was very fascinated by the disorder. And actually, that was a big part of my decision to move away from general practice into psychiatry. Oh, okay. Um, be- because it's such an important um, disorder. It's, mm. it's, it's really kind of uh, defined by, by some of the workers in the field as, as a person having the psychological equivalent of third-degree burns over their whole body, mm. that, that the pain that people experience is, is cannot be understood by people who don't have emotion regulation systems affected by their biology and their, their trauma. Mm. So it's, yeah, and um, it's a disorder that is treatable. And I think that's the, the the main thing that I want people to take from this conversation is that there's hope out there that there is um, DBT was I was just doing a bit of research before um, that that's specifically for people with borderline personality, isn't it? Well, l- l- we need to just be um, clear on that because it actually started as a treatment back in ninety uh, in the eighties nineties nineteen eighties nineties as a treatment for people who had the most severe suicidality. Okay. So it didn't actually start as a treatment for borderline. It, it started as a treatment for people who had the most um, painful behaviours and suicidality. Yeah. And as they researched it, they discovered that, that many people who they were treating actually had a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. Okay. So that the original work was within severe BPD, However, we've moved on a few decades and it's now a treatment that really helps what we call transdiagnostically. So across many diagnoses, it's a treatment that helps many people. Eating disorders, anxiety disorders, uh, other mood disorders. Um, so it's a super useful treatment, not just for uh, BPD. So it, it would it be right in saying then that it's particularly useful for those people who have that high level of, of suicidal ideation? Would would that be fair to say? Yes, yes, and not just for those people. It really is a treatment for anyone who recognises that they've got some sort of um, difficulty with how they function emotionally or behaviourally in the world. So what does it entail? So DBT gets thrown around quite lazily as a word. Mm. Um, DBT, pure dialectical behaviour therapy, has what's described as a comprehensive uh, approach, which which covers four modes of treatment. That's an individual therapist, a skills group to learn skills to regulate uh, emotions and behaviours, phone coaching, so that that person who is trying to change their behaviours, they have access to a coach when things really go belly up, Okay, and that's uh, like a 24-hour thing, is it? Uh, well, it depends on the individual therapist. Yeah. Um, and a team. So DBT is a team of, you know, a community of therapists treating a community of patients. That's that's your pure comprehensive DBT. Yeah. Now, when people kind of throw around the word DBT these days, often what they're meaning is DBT-guided treatment. Okay. So the core thing in DBT is saying this person has got difficulties with skills or lack of skills in managing their emotions and their life. Yep. So let's get in there and teach them skills. Okay, so that's what it does. 
the individual therapy helps a person understand what's getting in the way of them using their voice. It's about assessing and understanding the behaviours. But the skills group is the bit that's so golden, which is what helps people actually do the new uh, ways of coping. Yeah. And um, you were saying before there's a bit of a, a wait list for, for DBT therapy. So I guess that shows how um, helpful it is that so many people recognise that, you know, if they get in, um, then they'll, they'll be <coughs> helped through that. Yeah. And if we look at WA, there's, there's mm. gaps. You know, it's important to inspire some hope, but mm. it's also important not to be naive about the gaps that currently exist in the mental health system. So the, the comprehensive treatment that I just talked with you about um, isn't available in all catchments, unfortunately. Mm. Um, this, this is why they're kind of... So it's like a postcode lottery kind of thing, Exactly the phrase it is. Mm. Now, that's not all doom and gloom because, you know, people can put on their amazing creative hats, which many people with BPD have, and find ways to overcome some of those problems or, you know, have to do the work themselves. I'm, I'm imagining... Carissa has done a lot of the hard work uh, making your own treatment package with the other supports that, that you've got. But So, yeah, there's a lot of hope, but um, we haven't always got available what we want mm. for everybody. And you're based at the, uh, the Marion Centre, aren't you? So yes, so I, I work as a private practitioner at, uh, yeah, yeah. A, at an ordinary um, outpatient clinic sort of thing. Um, and it's really tricky because there are a lot of people out there who have got a lot of skills that can help people and I think one of the challenges when you start and again, Chrissy, you tell me if I'm wrong here is actually finding your pathway to the bit that works for you mm. and I guess that's a no size, fit, no size fits all yep. you know, so you can't say well this is the journey that's going to work for everyone because everyone's experience is going to be unique um, and the timing might not be right and, and all those other things. So it, it's kind of difficult to have, from a clinician point of view, a, a framework that says this is going to work for everyone, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm. So um, with, the, with the therapy, like with <coughs> if someone is experiencing some of the symptoms of, of DBT, I, of borderline personality, sorry, got my things mixed up. Um, what, are the <laughs> what are the things to look out for? What are the kind of um, symptoms that um, someone might have? Okay, so, I mean, the, the label um, of BPD comes from what, what is named the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental, mental Illness Problems. Mm. And that kind of clusters together various different traits and behaviour problems. And if a person has uh, difficulties in sufficient kind of like of those nine different criteria, they meet the diagnosis for BPD. It's worth saying that within mental health, our diagnosis system is a bit sort of problematic. Mm. Um, you know, you, you, you can't, it's just like if you've got, so it's like if you're pregnant, you either are pregnant or you're not pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's what's called um, a categorical thing. Yeah. Um, whereas in mental health, it's what we call dimensional. So we, you know, we humans, we're all somewhere on a spectrum. Mm. Um, but for, for people who have BPD, the, the amount of pain that they experience from those spectrums, that we're all somewhere on those spectrums, yeah. kind of 
cluster together such that their life is affected pretty much day in, day out by the, by the symptoms that they have. Mm. And those symptoms can be things like instability of mood, difficulty with relationships, so kind of um, love-hate relationships, yeah. a sense of self-identity disturbance, so people really not knowing kind of who they are and um, a great uh, agony when it comes to abandonments or breakups mm. in any relationships. Um, what else have we got? Deep emptiness. So, so some people have BPD. They, they talk about a great um, gaping, huge space inside themselves that mm. they're painful. Um, suicidality, anger problems, um, and sometimes completely falling apart during during times of crisis. So these are the types of symptoms mm. that they get that get clustered together in the diagnosis. And, and it can be quite cyclic, in in terms of um, if things are going right, but then obviously if something happens, then it can be a crisis. You know. Yeah. So so yeah, crisis certainly can um, really be hard for someone to <coughs> manage if if, if you're skills and capacities to regulate your emotions um, are um, limited for you. Some some crisis comes along and really hits people. Mm. Um, what's been fascinating to me during um, the COVID time, though, is um, some of some of the people I work with say things like, "Welcome to my world." Mm. So the the chaos and anxiety that experience yeah. um you know for some people for some people with bpd it's kind of like well this is where i live and I, yeah this is this is normal for me um so uh, you know i've heard people say that on the other hand it, it is also for, for for other people um with bpd you know it's more than you know and they are so i don't want to imply that everyone with bpd is cruising through coronavirus because they yeah. certainly are not yeah but it, it was really um eye-opening to hear people kind of say well this this sort of fear level that that community is carrying mm. is um, what they live with day is on. what i live with day day in day out so yeah you know and I, th I think things like this can happen and the more we take our moments to reflect on what it's like to be another person and actually do seriously take the time to walk in their shoes for a bit we, we can really recognize that mm. you know what gets labelly labeled um BPD is a very painful experience for a human. Yeah. But, you know, like Chris will tell you, it's, uh, it's a treatable, it's a good prognosis disorder with treatment and, and support and help. Mm. And I think <coughs> one of the, the things that I would look at is that self-awareness, isn't it? Like understanding your condition, understanding the disorder, and understanding your triggers would be a big part. And if you, if you don't have that self-awareness, it's the same with some of the other illnesses, um, that if you don't have that self-awareness, then you know recovery is going to be difficult because you're constantly reacting. But if you know what your triggers are and you can, you know, you have that self-identity, then that's going to be you know much better prognosis, isn't it? And what and what you're describing there is kind of the core feature of what is labelled any sort of personality disorder. Mm. So and any sort and there's lots of different personality disorders that each bring their own pain and difficulties. But, you know, for anyone with a labelled personality disorder has a reduced 
sense of capacity to observe and self-correct mm. what's going on. Yeah. Okay, so reduced capacity to observe is exactly what you're talking about. They have too much of some things and not enough of other things. Mm. So, um, so deficiencies, I don't like the word because it's not quite right, but, um, but d- deficiencies, if you like, in skills to regulate things. And over, over problem, so too much of troublesome traits that, 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 that cause problems. But yeah, so and that's why it's so super useful because if you do any treatment, and DBT is only one of them, if you do any treatment that, that helps someone develop their own self-awareness, mm. you know, so a lot of this is mindfulness-based treatment, third-wave CBT treatment, um, you help them to develop their self-awareness and their self-correction and their problem-solving, life changes. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, and I, again, I don't know what experience about this was but one of the key things that our treatments do is they help people be better problem solvers yeah yeah i think um again dbt really opens your eyes up to yeah not having the skills and tools at the time but they make you relearn things that you might have missed um during your childhood or going into adulthood um so, yeah, my self-awareness, I thought I was self-aware before I did DBT, but it really opened my eyes and I was like, okay, I'm actually self-aware now Yeah. Um, because there's a lot of things that you do miss. Um, but I think it is part of being human, though, as well, as going through that experience, regardless of whatever you're experiencing mental health-wise, is that going from childhood to adulthood is just such a huge shift. And not uh, there's friends out there that don't have this diagnosis that I see go through similar things. Yeah. Um, just trying to learn how to regulate and stuff. Um, but the beauty of DBT is so it's so universal that it could be taught at schools. It could be taught at like a lower level to children just to like be mindful of their emotions and be able to accept those emotions um, because that would really help you going forward, I think. Mm. So, yeah. I did some um, – because I've, I've got a 10-year-old daughter and I did some parenting courses and one of them was about emotion coaching. Um, so from the parent's point of view to help the kids to regulate, you know, and I thought that was – quite useful um if someone is concerned that they may have borderline personality what do they need to do not freak out first of all not judge themselves it's kind of tricky because one of the key uh, experiences of having VOPD is people think they're completely unflawed and yeah you know, worthless. That's self-loathing. So that th- th- that's really strong. So one of the first things, if you kind of start to think, oh, this might be me, um, is to not go there into self-judgment mm. and to go to someone who you can um, have some chance of having a long-term relationship with as a helping professional. Mm. Generally, we point people towards a GP. And sometimes it takes us people, us humans, long while, you know, a few tries before we find the GP that suits us mm. but what you want to turn to is your primary care person now yep. that person might not be able to do all the treatment but they can certainly sign up if you like to being with you on your journey getting a diagnosis of bpd is not an easy thing um, because of how diagnoses interweave and how you know some doctors might say no 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 you've got this or no 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 you've got that mm. Um, so it's, it's kind of like a difficult field. Uh, in fact, um, uh, Linehan, who's the developer of um, dialectical behaviour therapy, um, she was giving a, a thing on YouTube, and she was saying, you know, here's the thing. It used to be that on the East Coast, 
of the US, everybody who had borderline was diagnosed with um, um, complex PTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And people on the West Coast, they were all diagnosed with rapid cycling BPD. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, um, rapid cycling bipolar disorder. So, and, you know, and she says, what's this all about? And what it becomes all about is doctors, professionals, don't actually like to use the label mm. um, because the pejorative nature of it. Um, and what she was saying was, you know, the, 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 the trouble is the reason we come up with those fancy diagnoses is, is so people um, feel better about treating those people. Um, but what we really actually need to do is learn to love borderline. Yeah. And really learn embrace. to embrace it. Pretty much yeah. embrace. That's probably where you get a problem. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, perfect cool. phrase. But yeah. So so the first thing would be to not judge yourself, not yeah. panic, but you know just say yeah. I, I, if I do have something that's that's been a long term problem and really influences me regularly, go and sit with someone yeah. and actually try and carefully talk about what might really go on. You know, and eventually that can unfold into choosing the right label. Yeah, awesome. Um, that's um, that's pretty much what we need to wrap up the the interview now. But I just want to turn to you for the final um thing. So, um, someone's listening that might be concerned that they have borderline. What would you say to them? That it does get better. Um, but as Pauline has and myself has mentioned, it's not easy at the start. But in terms of seeking out help, I'd really encourage people to listen to lived experience stories and voices. Um. Because, again, clinical is really helpful, but the more trauma-informed practices we have, the more lived experience voices we have, the more understanding we're going to get, which I think we're working towards now. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of pe- peers out there that safely disclose about their journey, which it can really be healing, um, and you can feel like you've actually got a place in this world. So I'd really just really suggest to explore the lived experience side of things as well as what Pauline just mentioned as well. Awesome. Um, and if anyone is impacted by the conversation today, um, please reach out to your GP or you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Um, you can also call the Suicidal Callback Line on 1300 659 467. Um, and um, if you can send us through your contact details, uh, we can post them on our group page as well. Um, and the links as well to the Borderline um, organisation where we can get some further information. Sounds good. Thank you for joining us, um, Pauline and um, Carissa. No, thank you. Thank you. For the community, Inspire Radio.